Hi, welcome to Agora Community Radio, the podcast for artists in the animation industry who want to listen and learn on the go. This episode is from our A Conversation With series, where we invite pros from all walks of our industry to have a chat with us about their background and experiences, and then we finish it off with a little Q&A from the audience. You can always head on over to our website, agora.community, to watch the full video, or if you just want to listen to what we think are the most interesting bits and pieces of these conversations, you can listen to the Agora Bytes clips on this channel. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Well, hello yet again for another Conversation With series today with myself and David Bear. Today we have um, the esteemed Harvey Newman. Um, Harvey Newman is a big YouTuber. He is um, he's also a veteran game developer um, with the specific privileges of working with animation. Um, and uh, he's worked on titles such as Hor uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, Battlefield, Warhammer, and lots of other titles, which we can get into, obviously, in the stream. Lots, lots of knowledge, lots of experience, and with a, um, a very interesting twist, the fact that he's a content creator. So, um, you know, like, um, you know, someone like uh, Jandini Haas, who also is quite prolific in the VFX industry, um, somehow he, uh, Harvey manages to find the time that, I don't know how, but he finds the time to also produce a great deal of content for, for the web, which is really great. If you haven't checked out his channel, you really should, because there's a lot of really good stuff on there. So I'm going to bring in David, as I usually do, and then we'll bring in uh, Harvey, and then we're going to get this conversation going. David, what's up, buddy? Oh, hey, Brent. Hi, surprise. <laughs> I'm good, are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. I, I feel like this is becoming a bit of a thing. Like every week, there's going to be a moment where I'm going to surprise you with a stream, <laughs> and you will be there. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, must be, it must be scheduled or something. I don't know what's happening, but it seems... I don't know. Be. For me, the surprise is uh, I'm listen your introduction and then i'm slowly drifting into something else and then i hear my name and i see myself oh, say, oh. Oh, there, there i am <laughs> so i'm supposed to be on there okay well, that's my cue it's but, i just like to keep yeah. you on your toes glad to Good. be here well welcome back to yet another one of these conversations so we're gonna bring in harvey and um i'm i i the, the, the vfx budget is not big enough to have explosions and stuff but we're just gonna bring him in and get excited there he is, Harvey. What's Hello. up? What's up? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a high tech uh, trans, uh, transition we we use. It's called um, just a quick fade. So quick fade. Yeah, I yeah. Like we're it. gonna upgrade later. Eventually. I feel like a Hollywood star. He's great. You are definitely Thanks, a Hollywood star. So Brent, welcome. Brent, Thank we, you. we do have a team of VFX working on those explosions, right? When they're oh, oh when yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. They're getting well paid as well. Oh yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. No, no, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's any day now. Any day now, it'll be it'll awesome. be. Yeah, just just keep waiting. We are we just asking them. Please, please show us thirty different version, and we'll just take our laser pointer and you know yeah. decide which one it is. Yeah, so. yeah. We'll 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 just snipe with a laser pointer from our ivory tower, the one that we want the most, and <laughs> let let everybody figure it out. Actually, it's a little tricky to to really do anything too spicy on in here and restream because it's it's really meant for the kind of the multi guest kind of layout. But like, we don't have as many cool things that we can do. Like we do like on a say like a Twitch channel where you can actually use overlays and all these other things. Yeah. I hope that one day they add that kind of, that kind of support. Cause it'd be kind of cool to, to add a bit more uh, eye candy, but you, you know what today, Harvey, you are more than enough. I can't, uh, wow. I can't even say the word. Eye candy. It's such a cheese Thanks, joke. Bro. I can't even say Thanks. it properly. Yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Coming from you means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I don't know how you would like to get into this. Maybe like, um, maybe for those who don't know you, maybe you can mm -hmm. kind of just give us a brief condensed version of you in a nutshell to get us to, yeah. uh, kind of, you know, to kind of set the stage. And then we're going to dig into anything that kind of comes up that seems like uh, a good thing to get sure. into. Sure. Yeah. So like, my name is Ari Newman and 
I'm a, a gameplay animation director, or like an animation director for games. Uh, for all those that don't know, I've been in the industry for about, I don't know, 18 years, 15, I don't know. It's been a long time that I've been uh, like in the games industry. The fact that you don't know the number is exactly evidence that how long it's been. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I've been animating for games for a while, loving it. Um, yeah, it's been an amazing ride uh, going through all the, the the stages, the different stages of animation. And uh, yeah, now I'm working for a company here in Scotland called Build a Rocket Boy. This is where I reside right now. And um, I do YouTube as well. That basically resumes my career. <laughs> uh, actually, YouTube is how I, I uh, knew uh, about you in the uh, the first place. That, that's where the, that's the first time that that I uh, saw your your current, uh, content. I remember that in, maybe I'm wrong, but I think the first video that you've uh, that you've done, uh, seemed mm -hmm. that you got really inspired by the release of uh, God of War, and yes. like, oh my God, I have to do, I need to do, uh, something. To do something. So <laughs> there, there's two different questions in my mind. I, what was the exact process, and you know, inspiration yeah. in uh, in general? But can you describe it, it, first? Is it accurate, um, mm -hmm. and, and how did it happen to from playing again to I have to start a YouTube channel. I have to start a YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, I, like I actually leap. say it. It seems like a big leap to go from that. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, it's... I'm gonna like start a, a gigantic journey. <laughs> like, <laughs> it will never end because of this one game. Because of oh, this yeah. one game. Oh, no, so it was it was not God of War that started at all. So I, I was thinking about like starting a YouTube channel for years. I guess like yeah. most people nowadays, right? Because YouTube is such a, a big thing now. Yeah. And um, I remember like. Like uh, back in the day, uh, do you guys remember Casey Neistat, like a YouTuber, right? Oh yeah. Well, he's still around. He's still, he's still pretty big. He's still around. Yeah, exactly. He's not as active as anymore, but I remember that. Um, well, I always wanted to kind of like finish my end years of animation as a professor, perhaps in university, sharing knowledge and all that good stuff. And um, something clicked in my mind after watching one video of Casey Neistat when he brought uh, Will Smith into his studio. And Casey is pretty much my age, like early 40s. And if I was to meet Will Smith nowadays, I'll be freaking out as well. I mean, I grew up with Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and all that good <laughs> stuff, right? Um, he brought him into the studio. He was freaking out, asking him all kinds of questions. Will Smith was like, acting like a superstar. They leave their studio, and there was always a horde of teenagers in front of like mm -hmm. Casey's Neistat's studio. Not one person, not one teenager, was looking for Will Smith's signature autograph. They were looking for Casey's. Exactly. They completely ignore Will Smith. That's so funny. Will Smith felt really embarrassed. I remember. I remember. Walked to the crowd. <laughs> walked to the crowd, and then went to his limousine or whatever. Yeah. He played and, it off again. Like he did a pretty good job, like rolling with the punches, making kind of a joke out of it. But like, yeah. you could tell it was like, ooh. You could tell it was weird. Uh, things, yeah. And, and that was the moment that I thought, like, there's a whole new generation, there's a whole new like amount of animators coming yep. through, and this is the best way for me to actually kind of like share the knowledge more, much more so than going to university and teaching and all that stuff. And it was that point that I thought maybe one day I'll start a YouTube channel if I have anything good to say. I just didn't know exactly how to start it. And for some reason, like I still don't know why, uh, after playing God of War, I got so inspired because it's such a good game that I've decided that that was going to be my first video. Right. And then I started making that video. And it took me a good six months to finalize the video, 
but just YouTube, as you probably guys know, YouTube, like animation, it's never really done. You just put it out there and hope for the best and you just yeah. like cross your fingers. Sure. Yeah. And, and funny thing is you, you, you have the thought that when you put it out there, everyone is going to know about you and <laughs> they will judge yeah. you. And like, basically your career is going to be done and you're going to look like a fool. Yeah. And you think it's going to be the worst thing. And then you put it out there and you realize all of the two people that watch the video <laughs> <laughs> actually have uh, one has something to say, maybe a comment. Yeah. And it's about two yeah. people that watch the video. And that's when you realize, you know what? No one really cares yeah, about yeah. what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Let's yeah. just make more of this stuff just for it's, fun. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's funny. That's always like. It feels a little bit yeah. like the same with like, Twitch streams are like that too. It's like, it yeah. feels weird. You feel like you're going to be putting it out there into the universe. You're like, yeah. oh my God, like, I mean, everyone can hear what I'm saying. And then you realize that there's only like a small handful of people in there. And it's the yeah. same people who come back every time. And then it's all you're really doing is hanging out with a bunch of like-minded people that like to talk and chat about the same thing. And That's then it. if you if you keep going down that road and keep building that brand, if it's a brand that other people like, that crowd just gets bigger and bigger and you climatize to that as it, as it gets bigger probably, right? Like, how, like exactly. where, where are you at right now as far as viewership? Because I've seen your numbers grow quite a bit over the last little while. Yeah, I, I I'm like close to ten thousand now. So yeah, I'm not growing as much as others, but like, yeah, but like I think yeah. it's, it's still a good number. Yeah, like, it's, it's still not small. Like if you if you were to if you were to tell the the, the that person day one that you'd have yeah, ten thousand, no, like, that would be like you'd be like, there's no, no way that ten thousand yeah. people are going to want to listen to what I have to say. But yeah, oh, no, there actually oh. there definitely is. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and the thing is, like the first hundred are the people that are the number that you actually cherish the most. The first hundred people that follow yeah, you, because oh man, yeah, you get to have two people that watch your videos. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they found it somewhere in YouTube, in a corner mm -hmm. somewhere dark. Yeah, and then it starts growing. But the best thing that I found about YouTube is that, like, I got so disillusioned when I put the video because I put so much work in this video, and mm -hmm. then you get like two people watching this video. It was probably more than two people, but like you get two people watching your video and you're like, maybe it's not worth it. And I think that's when people go down the YouTube, like yeah. they, they kind of like turn around and like, mm -hmm. now the YouTube is not for me. Mm -hmm. But what I found is that the best way for you to do YouTube is just the same way that we did, we all did animation, which is the best animation comes out when you do it because you want to do it, not because yeah. you're doing it because of a job or yeah. a showreel or a specific <laughs> intention is because you want to have fun and you just want yeah. to express yourself. And since I like after a few videos, I realized that I had to do this for me independently of how many subscribers I get or how many view viewers I get. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the funny thing is that when you think about it that way, then and all of a sudden you're more real towards camera because you're just yeah. doing this because you want to actually kind of like yeah. explain something or, exactly. or put a thought out. And then you kind of go, I hope it rings through with somebody. I don't know if you yeah. will, but if it does, then great. Yeah. yeah, it's like you're, more, you're kind of more doing like a, almost like a, a visual dial. I mean, sorry, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a diary. Like a diary. You're just, yeah, like an audio just diary. Writing you're down just... some, like you're speaking out loud some thoughts that you have. And yeah. then if people want to listen, they can. But otherwise, it's really for you. It's therapeutic, probably. Exactly. Like like my next video is going to come out tomorrow. And once again, plug, shameless plug. But <laughs> do it. Do it. It's about, it's about taking notes, animation and mm. taking notes and the, the art of taking notes and how people, you know, back in the day, people used to take notes and they used to share their notes with each other, you know, to the animators and how important it was. Milt Cow share some notes oh, yeah, and you take some notes. Right. We, those notes used to travel throughout the animation lands via oh. Xerox copies. That's and like it. quite literally there because it was way before the internet was a real thing. And yeah. I still have some of those. As a matter of fact, I want to do a stream where I'm gonna go exactly. look at all of those from back in the day of my 2D animation days. I have like a stack 
like, yeah. like this of all these old ratty pieces of paper that like were handed down and handed down and handed down. A hundred percent. I remember that completely. That was like amazing. That was the beginning before animation mentor. <laughs> Way before to, animation mentor. I used yeah. to learn things. And, and this is why this is what I talk about in the video, basically about like how I take notes and how mm. I think about notes and how mm. important it is and all these things. Yeah. But, you know, when you say it out to the camera and you put it out there, it's almost like a, a reassurance to yourself that what you say makes sense, especially when you see mm -hmm. the edits in the end. Like, yeah, well, maybe this makes sense. It, it's a great exercise. It's a little bit like like teaching. I mean, when you decide exactly. to, to, to teach, you're like, yeah. okay, well, I have 10, 15, 20 years of experience. That's going to be easy. I'm going to teach them <laughs> that and that. And then you start to think about That's it. it. You oh, start boy. to analyze it and like, wait, how am I going to describe this? Yeah. Why am I doing this? What makes this thing work and not the yeah. other? And yeah. you, you, you kind of have yeah. to dive very deep uh, uh, to kind of, you know, put words on some, uh, uh ideas and concepts that, that you have, that you do naturally, but you, you forget why, why yeah. you do it. And you also yeah. realize all the holes that you have in your own oh, workflow yeah. that I kind of skip over that because I'm really fast and it doesn't really show up at the end yeah. because I, I mean, yeah. but I, I really struggle with this part. Now I have to teach it. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. I don't want to do it. Uh, uh, so just the going through the class preparation yeah. and, and teaching is forcing you to to become better and i feel that for you it might be a little bit the same thing with those videos yes. just going through all of those themes is is good to yeah. give but it's good for you as well yeah completely completely and i also um the teaching is exactly what you mean like i also have this workshop once again it sounds like i'm plugging myself but i'm not <laughs> Feel so free to. I, I have I have this workshop and I have like the, the students that I have to kind of do one on one uh, mentorship, mm -hmm. and it's exactly as you mentioned, David. Like when you have a student, especially that doesn't understand a concept, for you to break down that concept to its very basics, so that someone that comes brand new from animation has to understand spacing in animation, mm -hmm. right? How do you yeah. explain spacing in a way that makes mm -hmm. sense mm -hmm. to a student that just gets started? Like it's, it's just like a, it's a it's like explaining wind. Right, it's <laughs> difficult. It's really difficult. Or explaining but... a color, well, like color, how do you do exactly. that with a word of like what? Explaining well, red, how? it's red. What? Yeah, oh it's my just god, red. I see the yeah. problem. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it just makes your brain work in a completely different way. But yeah. because you explain it, and especially when they click, when things click, you probably guys know this. When some some things click to a student, you can tell that it just oh, yeah. makes sense. They oh, yeah. and then they portray it in their work. You oh, like. Yeah. It feels like a million dollars. It all feels worth like, it. yeah, for sure. Turns out the stuff that is here makes sense to others as well, and it's just yeah. not myself. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, there's a there's a thing that comes up a lot during these little conversations, just because it's you know I feel like people that have enough years of experience, like I think all three of us would qualify as, as having a good number of years of experience. Mm. We are a bit more comfortable with the idea of talking about things like imposter syndrome, and I think mm. that teaching and putting yourself because what you're what you're doing on your channel really is kind of. It's teaching in many ways, not always, because there's a sort of a mix of entertainment with with education in your content, naturally, with like like most YouTubers of of the kind of topic, the types yeah. of topic topics that you get into. But the but by by putting yourself in a position where you need to like be teaching something, there's a lot of self-doubt that happens because as David's saying, like as you start to inventory your process and you start to realize, holy shit, it's like it's like Swiss cheese. Like, yeah. how do I how do I possibly explain like elegantly how I don't know what the hell I'm doing during this phase. I just sort of That's like it. make it more red and like, yeah. how do you do that? And so um, it's interesting because it's, it does force you to reorganize information in your head so that you feel a little bit stronger in your own, your own processes. 
but it yeah. can also be a little bit nerve wracking to kind of put yourself out there. Cause like, who am I to say these things if I don't even necessarily know for sure how to do them. Right. Yeah. And you always have that like second guessing because imposter syndrome happens no matter what stage you are in your career. Right. Oh yeah. It's, it's always going to be there. Yeah, as soon as you expose yourself to something new that makes you yep. feel off balance, yep. the imposter sy syndrome kicks in and then yep. you're like, what's going to happen with my career now? And yeah. YouTube is exactly that. Like, if I ex expose myself to the world and I start blabbering about all these things that I think are correct, who's to say that people out there are not going to look at my stuff and be like, this guy is full of rubbish. Yeah. Why, why are people looking at this stuff? And then is he, is he actually kind of misleading people coming into mm. the industry? Maybe instead yeah. of being helpful, is detrimental to people coming in? Yeah. So all those things go through your mind in every For single sure. video I make, especially the more edgy ones, like talking about salaries or talking yeah, about sure. a bit more, right? Controversial so, subjects like this can, are, are going to yeah. obviously create a little bit more possibly negative attention. Exactly, exactly. Because, yeah. you know, people might say, like, this guy's completely wrong. Like, yeah. who is this guy to tell me what, what it is? Yeah. I know better because I have more experience or yeah. I've well, worked here or whatever. I like, to think, I like to think at least if there's people like you that are willing to put it out there, at least it starts the conversation. Because the problem is, I feel like on yeah. these kinds of topics, no progress gets made because people keep their opinions to themselves because they're too scared to share for the same reasons that you're saying. It takes brave people to go and say, you know what, I'm just going to say it. This yeah. is what I think. But like, leave themselves open so that like, if you if you would like to discuss this, like, go ahead and say it in chat. Let's talk about it because Completely. I think we need to talk about these things. And I think that you know it's it's important. And I think that we need to push through those 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 moments. Like I, at the end of the day, you're never going to make everybody happy, right? Not yeah. everyone's going to like your content, and that's obviously yeah. something that you obviously got got used to that idea a long time ago. Yeah. Otherwise, you would have stopped. And um, the, the key is there are going to be people, people that do like your content, appreciate you for who you are and what you bring to mm -hmm. the table. And it's like, you just have to forget about the haters, man. Because at the end of the day, the haters yeah. are usually the ones that just sit there bitching and moaning and they do nothing about it. So, they don't know, exactly. Yeah. They just, they just know how to moan really well. Professional exactly. Moaners. And good. Let them moan. Let them moan, uh, let them moan. The rest of us are going to move forward. That's exactly right. And, um, and what you mentioned about like putting it out there, like that's like the games industry unlike the film industry and VFX, as you guys know, it's not as documented or, mm. or known of as, as, sure. as like film, right? So like, you know, you have to be behind the scenes in Pixar movies or DreamWorks and stuff. Mm. And you people get, can get a general idea of what it is to work there. Obviously not mm. all is roses and pink, but they can at least get the gist that it's fun. In games, there's not so, no such thing, right? In games, people mm. just go in inside an animator and they disappear. I agree. I totally and then agree. you don't know anything about it and what they do exactly do it. Do they do the same thing as in film? No one mm -hmm. knows. Yeah. So for me, coming in as a fresh guy into the games industry, there was a lot of bad stuff that happened because you have to learn as things go. And it happens to most yeah. people, right? You actually get into a professional job and then you have a horrible job uh, boss and then you actually get thrown under the bus and you have to learn as you go and you have to pick yourself up, all of these things. And I thought it was probably best for me to tell people how it is to actually be in games and what to expect and also the good stuff and the bad stuff. So people know that if you actually want to play animator, not all of it is good, right? So there's some stuff that is bad and here's the stuff that is bad. And I hope that if someone had told me that back in the day, it might have not hurt so much. It might not have crushed the dream so much because I consider myself someone positive that after this many years, I can still be positive about it and can still be like, wow, I love my job. But as you guys probably know, there's a lot of people out there that go into the industry, no matter what industry they go into, they get chewed in and spit yep. out. 
Absolutely. and then that dream gets destroyed, yeah. demolished, and mm-hmm. and it's really horrible, right? Yeah. So maybe having that set of uh, reference in their head by the time they start in the industry might help them out a little bit. I hope. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure why it, why it is because I've definitely uh, seen both. I've been a little bit in VFX, mostly in animated feature, and a little bit in in game uh, as well. Yeah. Even if it was more on the cinematic side, but you know we're side by side with the dev team. For sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but I, I can assess that the level of brutal crunch time. Mm-hmm. in games is something that I've I had never seen. I know that there's some uh, uh, there's a lot as well in VFX. I've not seen myself, but I've heard. But if I compare with animated feature, there was some crunch time for sure in every production that I went to. Yeah. But in games, it was on another oh. level. It, it, it's, it's like it Yeah. Yeah. And it feels that it's this big marathon that is very hard to manage. And at some point, you're like, oh, the, Okay, now we have six months, and there, it, it's almost like it's so difficult to yeah. to predict and manage that you yeah. always end up being six months from the end, and like, wow, we have like two years of work left, and there's six yeah. months. That's so it. let's 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 do that, and it, yeah. it kind of played sometime in the culture of, you know, uh, all right, those are troopers; they stay until two a.m. every day, and almost like a pride that was getting out of that yeah. that you good. almost get into, and you start to feel it, like, ooh. I'm not sure I, I I understand the thrill, but I'm not sure I enjoyed this this uh, specific yeah. taste of going back to bed at 4 a.m. on a long, long period of time for too many days. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. And you know what? Like, I feel like at least my experience so far has been that the reason why that happens is because the games industry is really young, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have been through like the 50, 100 years that film has you know if you actually hear the stories about like walt disney's nine old man and how much they worked in the beginning that is very similar to what games are going yeah. through right now right it's like this unlimited crunch because you need to make sure that a project is done and it's done when it's done but there's no there's there's no like clear sense of planning and it, some studios are better than others but everyone is trying to figure it out or how yeah. it is right and i feel thankfully that we're actually getting into a new phase uh, when I started, no one really paid attention to the talent. It was very much about like, you come in, we pay you a check, work hard, and then get the job done. But now most AAA studios, I actually understanding that retaining the talent is the most important thing that you can do. And you can only retain, retain the talent if you keep them happy. And those things are like connected, right? And that is changing the industry in a big way because all of a sudden crunch is something that makes people unhappy. So how can we solve crunch? And actually mm-hmm. get so the development cycles are becoming longer because games take yeah. a long time to you cannot mm-hmm. develop a game in two years and that's what every company wants but yeah companies big yeah. companies are trying to understand that actually if you want to make a good game that makes an impression mm-hmm. you need at least four years to make a game maybe longer and then let's plan for those four years and then do not have crunch you need a bit longer again and um, i think that's those are welcome changes but still there's a lot of differences. There's a lot of figuring out at the moment. This is why you get a lot yeah. of crunch. And, and I think that's something something that fights a little bit. The because uh, yes, we're gaining. It, it's still very young, although now it, it's a, a couple of decades. But uh, at the same time, you have technology that is yeah. uh, evolving yeah. exponentially, changing uh, the rules all the time. I mean, it, it, it's not even game from game. It's in between the game. You in have between the game, game yeah. that's going to change game, the the the, the, uh, the decision as you're building it 
Um, and there was also like the explosion just of uh, a game in general. That means that now there's more and more budget. Well, yeah. what you can do with 100 million is very different than what you can do with 20 million. And if you're a past game, if you had the team yeah. that created a very successful 20 million game, now it's kind of the same core team, but you have five times the budget, five times the expectation, and a new generation of console. It, it, it's not starting from scratch, but it's fairly close to yeah. be starting from, from scratch because it's so vastly different. Yeah. Uh, so, so the parallel with the early Disney days is, is, is great. Yeah. At the same time, in between the f first few films, there was some technology uh, advancement, but it's yeah. nowhere close to no, what no. we have to deal no. with. Engines, today. yeah, engines are changing all the time, and and the, yeah, it's it's a very good point. And and what happens as well is that then if you have a successful game, right? So let's say you have twenty million, and then your your game made a hundred million, then the the like the publisher, whoever publisher it is, they'll be on to you to actually make the same number two more successful. So recreate that exactly, but just make it more successful. And if that's successful, then it becomes a chain, right? Because now we, we want that game to come out every two years. And it's like, well, we made the first game in five years. How can we make it two years? Well, in order to be profitable, you need to make it in two years. And then pressure is on. And this is what makes games or gamers or developers kind of unhappy because all yeah. of a sudden you have to make the same content, which is twice as fast because certain people don't understand that even though you're making a second version, you cannot just plug and play the stuff that you had before. No. You have uh, to create new assets, everything, right? If you want to create typically. anything. So yeah. and, and this is for a team that are are the in the best case scenario that would do the same type of game. Yeah. Uh, there's many studio that We've developed a MMO. Okay, let's do a shooter now. <laughs> you have <laughs> the same team. It's like, okay, let's go with this. Let's yeah, so com completely. Yeah. Uh, you, you again with the parallel of uh, of movie. You can do an animated feature that is in in space, and another one that's going to be in a different, completely different story. Most of the acquired knowledge is yeah. going to be. You have to make your research in a different direction, but yeah. most of the, the tools and knowledge is the same. You yeah. change the type of game you're making. I mean, okay, you change like let, let's trash a lot of the code and let's yeah. just do new yep. stuff. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's that's crazy because it's it's so it's so true too. Like there's this misconception uh, from from a higher higher up often that it's just local. But you got a team of devs. Like it's like. Just because yeah. I have a hockey team and they're a bunch of athletes does not mean I can put them on a soccer field That's and expect it. them to score goals. It just doesn't work like that. Or sorry, I'm speaking to someone from the UK. That, sorry, football. No, no, but I understand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I think that it's, it is this weird thing. And I feel like the same thing um, happens with animators. Like, I feel like if you think about it, like a lot of producers in my time have like totally misunderstood like why you can't just take a cinematic animator and plug yeah. them into gameplay and vice versa. We can touch a bit more on that later. That's a subject I really want to get into, but, sure. but it's, it's funny how there is like, it doesn't work like that. Just because you have no. animator in your title does not mean that you can just suddenly just hit the ground running on a completely no. different type of thing, right? Completely, completely. Yeah, yeah now being a gameplay animator, uh, once again, this is why, another reason why I created the channel is completely different and you need a different set of skills. Oh, different. Uh, Absolutely. Different set of skills. And it's, it's, a, it's beautiful in a different way. Um, and uh, some, some animators get disappointed because when they, they go into animation for games and they expect they have the same linear pipeline of like, I get time to plan my shot, I get time to actually then showcase it. And the way it's going to be showcased in game is going to be like a cinematic. But if it's a gameplay thing, uh, gameplay animation, it's not going to be like a cinematic. It's going to be a sequence of animations they're going to play 
together when you press X on a specific moment on a specific mm -hmm. place. That's when your animation is going to play, right? Yeah. But getting to know that and getting to love that takes yeah. longer than it takes when you get into mm -hmm. film because in some film people, you just see, the, see it straight away, right? Some people might not. Some people get into the game industry as an animator and think that like that sounds really cool, and then yeah. they are, they're subjected to it and they're like, "Ooh, no, this actually, is not I'll go me. back. I'll go back to movies. Thanks. See ya." For sure, for sure. Yeah, this. I mean, animation is difficult no matter where you put it, but yeah. there's a simplicity to how how much the film industry has grown and how linear the pipeline is. That you just go in, you sit in your chair, you have your supervisor, they tell you what to animate. It takes you about a week or a few days, and then you showcase it, get your notes, do it again. And, and so on and so forth, right? There's a simplicity to it, to it not to bash anybody because that's amazing, but games is very much like uncertain. You have an engine in between, you have different departments and different departments are telling you different things and your animation broke the engine, broke the build. Why did it broke mm -hmm. the build? How do you oh, implement yeah. the animation? There's a lot of stuff going on. Oh yeah, so many but moving parts. It's all, so many moving parts, but at the same time, if you love multitasking, if you love to be independent, if you love to own a piece of, of content, that stuff is really, really cool because you don't have such thing as a supervisor in, in games. Normally your leads will actually distribute the work to the animators and they expect the animators to put things in game. Yeah. So you get a saying not only on the animation, yeah. but also how it plays. And if you like go, once again, go to God of War, when you throw that ax and it feels excellent, if you're the animator animating that stuff, People are going to love your work because you did that animation and it feels good because you yeah. made that feel good, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's not like you just that you just did, did the animation. It's every studio is a bit different, but like I'd like to think that a lot of animators were part of that system. Like it's yeah. like the whole look and feel of throwing the axe was just as much contributed by the animator as it was, say, the engineer who was building the feature oh, and the designer yeah. who was sort of tuning it. It's like it's it really is a team sport, you know, and there, yeah. you can't one thing that you're, that's the hardest, I think, for animators in the games industry is understanding that they don't have quite so much of the full control over their shot or their over their over their, over their work, because it's True. not like you said, you don't just make it and you polish it to the point that it's as good as it can be. And yes, of course, you have to, the tricky part, like the, the hard part of navigating, I think, feature films is that you have all these different inputs about what the shot needs to be, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's at least it's a linear thing where it gets yeah. a little bit more complicated. Imagine doing the same thing, but now it's not just a whole, like a whole part, but it's like you're animating with a, a team of people. One person's uh, job is to animate the fingers. The other person's job is to animate the eyeballs. And then it, when, when it all merges together, it should be a full, complete experience. And you have a lot more voices uh, interacting with what For they sure. want. Like you get designers, you got producers, you got directors, you got game directors, you got animation supervisors. It's like the list goes on and on. And these are coming from completely, I mean, completely different perspectives too, right? Yeah. So you might have a designer who's got all this feedback on your animation that's like seems antagonistic to what the animation is supposed to look like. And yeah. then, you know what I mean? How do you even, how do you even resolve that without making your animation look like a completely, pile of poop? Yeah. Completely, yeah. Navigating that, that environment is incredibly difficult exactly oh, for yeah. the things that you said. Because sometimes you find blockers in the most like unseemingly things, for example, level design, right? Like if you make a crouch animation, you need to actually pay attention to how low the crouch yeah. animation goes. Totally. Because totally. turns out cover is only that high. Yeah. And you made your animations, made a hundred animations, you made them all to this cover instead of that cover. So now you have to yep. go back and actually rework yep. your stuff because yep. you didn't read the design documentation when you should have, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. So that's, those are the kind of things that you have to think about. And then you have to actually explain to the designers or to, to level designers why you made that, cho that, that choice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and it gets <laughs> more complex when it gets to the senior lead animation, animator, because you have to explain those things and you have to fight it off yeah. in a way. You have to, to actually be the person that kind of like goes, I think this is better because yep. of these reasons. Yep. This is my case. Present your case. Absolutely. And let's discuss. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a real art form to that, man. Like it's like yeah. you because you you can't like you got to stick you got to be confident enough to understand like what it is you're like you, when you're being told by a designer, for instance, to make the cover work for 12, 12 inches high. At yeah. some point, you're gonna have to be like twelve inches high. The character's six foot tall. Like I just literally I know that you want that, and yeah. I understand that you think that that makes sense in the game. But yeah. we're making a realistic looking game. So therefore, there are limitations to what I'm able to do with that character before it just falls apart on screen, right? I have to answer exactly. to the art director and the creative director too, not just you and I'm yeah. trying to make this really cool design. Like I'm not I'm not here to, to poop on the design. I think yeah. I, it sounds like it would be a lot of fun, but like I just like I just can't. The intersection, yeah. the animation lives yeah. between the creative directions and the technical mechanical directions of the game exactly. mechanics. It's it can be a difficult pinch. I yeah, exactly. For me, for me, it was one of the most interesting part of being in game. It, it, it's because you have just having witnessing a conversation between a programmer and oh, yeah. an artist, and <laughs> with each one of them on the extreme side of creativity and Absolutely. binary one and zero. There's a, a right and a wrong way to do thing, and on the other side, it's like, well, we're trying to find beauty, so it's all in <laughs> shade of gray, and and you know when they kind of get to an agreement that. Programmer would be like, okay, we're in agreement. This is this is what we're going to do. And then the artist like, yeah. but if we look at it from another perspective, yeah. and then I like, was just <laughs> freaking out. It, oh, it's yeah. it's amazing the level of different kind of mindset that that have to be put yeah. together to create a game. It's it's amazing. The games even get shipped because of this, because of the juxtaposition of perspective. Just, yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. Because like the amount of like because animation, as you mentioned, like animation lives in a in a in a in, in between technical and art right now, yeah. and everything that moves in game, well, not everything, everything, but virtually everything that moves in game, is actually up to the animation department to do it. So you have to be the one to explain to others why these things make sense for animation. Mm -hmm. um, but other people, including game directors and people that are in charge and are playing the game and are making the game. They most of the time don't know exactly why animation needs to be a certain way or needs to function a certain way or needs to be like, or they don't understand why they can't get what they want. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like how comes you cannot do this if this other game had it, right? Mm -hmm. But the amount of things that we need to do in tech that we need to do and people that we need to hire, it's impossible. Like, let's be realistic about these things. So you can get this much, but not that much, right? Sometimes it goes the opposite way. They ask for the world because we have a massive amount of budget. But we only have a certain amount of time and a certain amount of people, so we can go this much, right? And you have to constantly kind of like juggle because I like to do the best animations possible, but it's almost like being a basketball player or oh, a F1 driver. You have to kind of like know when to accelerate, not to kind of like burn out your tires, right? Uh, like have a certain stamina, have a certain kind of vibe because this is a long game, and we have to be here for three or four or five years. So we have to plan things well. We mm -hmm. have to know exactly when things fall, when, and we have to be realistic about the stuff that we have, budgeting, mocap, handkey, what is fast, what is not, how, comes, how can we push? There's so many questions all the time. But this is exactly why working in games is more exciting to me 
I than, agree. than working in films because you can yeah. get to do all these things. You can get to discuss with other people. You can get to make decisions. You mm -hmm. can get to actually, like, I like to have my team come up with their own ideas and like, just surprise me, do something yeah. that is cool. And if it's cool yeah. to them and if it's cool to me, totally. then I, I can actually put across the thing, like, we need to do it this way yep. for these reasons. Yep. And then if it goes into game, the team feels better, the animator feels yep. better and he's amazing. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's yeah, one of the things in games that, that I witness as well. The, the level of, uh, you know, if you are proactive and, you know, you are talented, the, 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 the level of, um, you know, not, not power, but uh, you can have a lot of responsibility if you decide to take those responsibility, maybe compared to in, in, in feature, well, this is your shot. And if you do well, you'll have better shot if exactly. you're an animator for instance in a game and you have good level design idea and you have good idea of system and you know it, it, it's almost like you have you can have a big impact on the game if you're even for if you're sure. just a mid-level animator if you have good ideas good people skills to properly communicate them being you know resourceful enough to be able to prototype a little bit on your side and yeah. show it to convince the the uh, the design team or the creative director there's yeah. a lot uh, that that you can achieve uh, in a game there's a lot of space Completely. for artists Completely. in the game i saw something up on the screen here was from chat that i thought was pretty funny when we were talking about the juxtaposition of different <laughs> perspectives it's like it sounded like the beginning of a classic dad joke that is that is true that is true yeah. i love to, i love to actually kind of uh this is basically my talks every day. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's not in a bar, but that's pretty but, pretty much me every day. You know, it's funny because I I often talk. I often with on, on just jumping on what was just sort of said. I often say that making a game is hard because and it can be very difficult because it's like you're trying you're trying to like build the tracks for the train yeah. as the train is literally go, heading down the track. It feels yeah, like this. And you, yeah, like and you don't even have a map because most yeah. of the games I know of, the reason why it takes so long is not because, it, yes, there's a lot of work, but it's amazing yeah. how much work can get done in a short period of time once yeah. the team fully understands what they're making. This totally, is yeah. the number one part that's hard. It's like, in, at least in linear storytelling, they can work on story. They can do storyboard yeah. meetings. They can put the story up on a wall. And they can sit in front of it. And they can debate it. They can pitch it. They can, they can tune it before production starts right yeah video games are a lot harder because they're bigger there's way more of a moving parts and because it's interactive there's a lot more edge cases it's not a linear experience so it's much yeah. more difficult and i think as an industry like you said it's a new industry we haven't figured out the game industry in general yeah. i'm gonna get some hate for this but i'm sorry yeah. it's, no, true. it's true we though. don't know it's how true. to make games well yet. Uh, yeah, i no, think no, you yeah. just you just have to mention vertical slice and yeah. people <laughs> in game will understand exactly you you need to you need a piece of the cake to make sure that the developer knows exactly or Otherwise, actually sees that you know what you're doing to give it's, more money but to do it. this piece of the cake you need the cream that you plan to do two <laughs> exactly. years after because this is not yeah. the exactly. important you need flour first and, and exactly and all that. that's the joke so of vertical slices yeah you have to really give a sample again. of the game before the game is built and like i'm sorry yeah. how do you do that you can't like do not nine mothers cannot produce a baby in in in, uh, in one month you know what i mean like it. it just doesn't happen like you just that does not how it works it takes time and i so just to follow up on the thing i was saying yes it's difficult for these reasons but it's actually to go what you're saying harvey it's also the most exciting reason why games yeah. are fun because it's like the fact is that you could be part of the people deciding where the track gets laid you have a say in this and you can you have a lot more influence over the direction that this 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 freight train is heading yeah. just by speaking up and leveraging your expertise and finding ways Completely. of collaborating with the teams that are around you and finding the common ground between what would otherwise be very 
a, a large amount of disparity between perspectives between the departments. Like find okay. that common ground, celebrate it, and then find a way of actually, um, he, you know, heading heading forward as a team. It's, yeah, yeah, like the, the sense of ownership that you yeah. get after the game is shipped. Oh yeah, it's it's incredible. It's really really it's good. Big. Like yeah. you don't have your supervisor director kind of telling you like minute notes about your shot, and you kind of starts to feel like he's their shot instead of your shot. There's yeah. none of that in games. In games, oh. it's genuinely like if you actually put it in game, it's because it's working. If not, then you go back into Maya, you all work it out, and you keep on doing the, the same thing. And and if you actually put it in and it works and everyone designed code and everybody is agree in agreement that this is a cool move, let's do this and this is great, let's move on to the next thing, then you actually were the one that made it happen. And and it's a beautiful thing. It's a really good feeling, especially after all these fights or all these uh, these discussions, I should say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> criticisms and constructive yes. criticism. Um, after all those things, it feels like you just like you made something special, right? Yeah. And and that's that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I agree. The payoff is big. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the thing in game is that you'd like to vent on the weekend with your friends and talk about the oh, game, yeah. but there's so much secrecy oh. that there isn't much you can say anyway. So you kind of stay vague and what, what is the yeah. IP again? Oh, sorry. I, I cannot say what type of game. Is, uh, sorry. I cannot answer this question either. And so you kind of, <laughs> you have to keep it for yourself or discuss yeah. among the people from from your team. The, the level of secrecy in, in in game, especially if you spent like a decade in animated feature that they will announce exactly what it is like a year before. And, you know, you almost have little, you know, production diary as the, 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 the film is being made and, and yeah. all that. You you go in game, it's like, nope, oh, no, please sign here yeah. <laughs> with yeah. your blood. With blood. Nothing can be said about that. I think, I think the reason why there's no behind the scenes and like development diaries, there's more of it now. But I think the reason why is because <laughs> it's a mess. I knew <laughs> so, you were going to say that. Like, it's why? Like, yeah. It, it why would like, you like to see it? Yeah. It's, it's horrible. Getting getting to see how sausage is made sounds really great on paper, but then when you start to see it, you're like, <laughs> you know it. what? Actually, you nah. know what? I don't think I need to know. Just send me the game yes. when it's done, and I'll enjoy it then. Yeah, it's exactly. so true. It is like messy. Enjoying yeah. a, bl a blood sausage, right? It's yes. like, oh, it tastes great. You definitely <laughs> want to know how it's made. Hey, no, you don't. You <laughs> just, just skip that part. It may it may ruin it That's for it. you. Exactly. Yeah, that's why the uh, Double Fine Production Diary series was so uh, amazing. I don't know yeah. if you've yeah. seen seen this one, uh, Harvey, with the uh, game A Broken Age, but I was like, wow, for, for the first time, I, I can relate to what <laughs> yeah, I so They are suffering too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah, every single studio that I've been is always the same thing. Yeah. And the game normally comes together right at the end. It, it's, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. That's, yeah. Feels, great. that's it's, a it's serious part. It feels like, like Brent mentioned, like, you know that penguin in Wallace and Gromit laying mm. down tracks real quick, right? Yeah. It feels like every department is that penguin. And then we all going from like very far away and exactly. we hope to meet in the middle. Yeah, and everyone exactly. is just like laying down tracks as best as they can. Yeah. And then right at the end, it just goes click. And it's like, yeah. wow, we have a game. Yeah, yeah. This is cool. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how it goes in games development. Yeah. It's just it's yeah. insane. It's so true. It does. It just feels like complete chaos. And I, I always, I'm, I'm a broken record. I always say this, but the soundbite is uh, overused. But it all, I, I always feel like at the beginning of every project, you're on a team of of clearly inspiring, oh, yeah. experienced people that you're like, wow, like I'm, I'm such a great team. But when when you start trying to make the game, especially if it's a new team, yeah. it's like it feels like it's everyone's first day on the job. You know, it's because yeah. it's like it's awkward. And this is why you see a lot of these teams that are like Ninja Theory. 
these teams that are small, a lot of people are like the big fad these days. I mean, David touched on this a little while ago. It's like, you know, it, you know, you as well, Harvey, this idea that it takes, it takes three years for a reason, right? It's because it takes that long to make these games. But, uh, but at the same time, and that was in, in by stretching that out even to maybe four years sometimes is the industry's way of trying to answer the problem of, well, if it takes that much time, but it's always killing our employees with these crunches, well, why don't we just, just live, just, just live with the fact we should take a little longer to make it, you know? Exactly. And, um, but the other way that people are trying to solve this problem is by saying, well, or, or why don't we have a smaller, more agile team and scope the game more accordingly? Not not having these gigantic Assassin Creed-like games that are just full of so much content that it's very difficult to compete with. Instead, let's, let's go, with, go with a slightly different model and maybe charge less money for it. There seems to be a big wave of people, like what I call, there's sort of like, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fun name that they, they've sort of branded recently, people that are in this space. It's sort of somewhere between a AAA space and an indie space. They're like yeah. these medium-sized companies that are often formed out of like people from the big AAA and they merge with a bunch of people that might be coming up the ranks from the indie and they try to find this hybrid approach. And yeah. I think that that's an interesting way to go too. But the one secret sauce to that seems to be if you're having a smaller team, you really need a team that not only have a lot of experience, but preferably a lot of experience working together. This yeah. is the Ninja Theory's big win. Infinity Ward, same boat. They have a team, a small core team that have been working together for a really long time. So they're able to like finish each other's sentences. They could order yeah, yeah. for each other you know, on the menu when their people are showing up, other people are showing up late to, to the lunch meeting. They know each other pretty well. They That's understand right. how to make a game together, you know, just yeah. like a team on, on the ice, right? People need to know Completely. how to work together. Completely. Yeah. And I'll go further on that as well to elaborate on that as well even more. I think uh, something else that is actually make, makes these studios even better is being independent. So I know the Indigy Theory is no longer independent, but I think the best work that came out was when they were independent, right? Like Hellblade. It's almost like the pressure of the studio about to fail. <laughs> kind of like decide, they decided to just go like, whatever, are we just going to do the game that we want to do? And we're just going to make it the best we can. And that pressure together with being independent and like having free reign to do whatever, Hellblade came out and that was really cool. And there's yeah. a lot of games out there like um, uh, that, that actually have that mentality that we're going to get do the game for ourselves. Yeah. And if we do it for ourselves as developers and, get, and players, then maybe the audience will like it as well. Instead yeah. of having a, a publisher on top of you saying what you need to do, when, yeah. how, micromanage and micromanaging sort of and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and it, another thing that you can see in the game development as well is that if the developers had fun creating the game, you can feel that fun by playing the game. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's true 100% of the time. Like I definitely agree with that. That work really, really well, like you were saying, that actually gel, that actually kind of like have fun doing development. Mm -hmm. Those are the teams that make the best games and the teams that are under pressure, crunch, all these things, that dysfunction, you can also tell in the game, right? Like yeah. Cyberpunk is the latest example that everyone is talking about. Yeah, I think that's true for any creative production, to be honest. I just think that it's more difficult in games yeah. because, again, the juxtaposition between perspectives, it, like there's not a lot of common, common ground between many engineers that I know and animators. They're such different people. There is a yeah. common ground. That common ground is a love for games. They're yeah. probably all players. And so they need to be able to find a way of appreciating that little, that line there. But, yeah. um, you know, like usually the programmers are typically, and I'm, I'm, I'm averaging here, um, but they are usually the ones that are dealing with difficult problems all day. So they're wearing headphones because right next to them, these open four floor concepts are these 
these loud animators that are running around and shooting video references. That's true. And it's and it's like those two people like literally would never choose to hang out together at a party, but yet they're forced together into this room and they're told to make a game together and they yeah. should be you know have fun while you make it too because that's the secret sauce. That's the it's secret like, sauce. Yeah. How do you so how do you how do you do that? Like how it's hard to that? grow a company culture in a way yeah. that allows that to happen naturally. And I think part of that is being maybe a little selective with who you who you hire. And I think it's it's tricky. Yeah, and and you know what, uh, Brent? Like I feel you probably found this as well, but like I feel like there is a few <laughs> programmers, engineers that I call them the daywalkers, and I've only found two <laughs> that actually know know about know about like obviously the engineering side, but can also talk oh, yeah. the animation lingo. And <laughs> don't even get me started. They all try. They try to be like, okay, so what do you guys want to achieve in animation? We want to achieve these things. So it's like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Now yeah. let me let me translate that to my colleagues. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I had a, I had a like a brilliant, brilliant engineer, Tom Barry, and shout out to Tom Barry if he's watching this. He works right now in Microsoft in, in the Midlands um, uh, at Microsoft. Rare. Stolen from us all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tom Barry, amazing, amazing dude, and he was that. He was that guy. We yeah. were to go to Tom Barry. We were to go to Tom and be like, Tom, look. We yep. need to solve this issue. Yeah. And this is the reasons why. And this is why we want to actually do it. Can you please talk to you guys? And then Tom would go and be like, this is why animation needs these things. We're like, yeah, yep. we told them. Just like, and then he will go into engineer mode and be like, well, this thing doesn't work. That thing doesn't work. This system and that system are competing with each other. This is yep. why we need these things. And the animators are trying to tell you that. Exactly. He's just not listening. It's not the right words. It's not and the then, right words. Exactly. This, and then Tom so will make true. it happen. And then he'll come back yep. to us and be like, it's sorted. Well, let's make it happen. They were like, yeah, thank you. I, uh, you call, you call them daywalkers. I call them unicorns because they're unicorns. about as, about as common as a unicorn. They are, I, it's, I'm the same. I have maybe three or four. I'm going to do a shout out to Jeet Trough right now. He's, he's, he's the legendary, um, animation um, engineer that I've worked with. He's, he's since gone on, he works for Santa Monica studios now, and he's now a game director, um, oh, cool. which goes to show you just how well he understands games. And nice. uh, and even the animation part of that, it was not a surprise to me that he's doing that these days because he he had a much higher level perspective. But it's a little bit like almost like going back to analogy land here. It's like you're trying to disarm a bomb, but yeah. you're but the person across the table speaks Russian and you you don't know a word of Russian and you're gonna somehow but you can't even you know that game like what is it uh, something about you're gonna explode or it's like it's it's a fun party game that you can play yeah. where like you are like they have a VR version of this where you can see the bomb. And you can explain to all the people like, okay, so yeah. I see right now. And then they have, they have like the instruction manual, how to, how to disarm the bomb, but they have to tell you with only words, yeah. but they can't see what you see. What's it called? Everyone explodes or something. What can't no, I remember it, the name is, of the game? Is it like, like those, is it like, oh, that's right. Triggers? No, thank you. Mike farts. I mean, you, you forced me to say your handle and now I hate you for it. Keep <laughs> talking and nobody explodes. That's exactly the game I'm thinking about right now. Nice. That's what it feels like making a game with an engineer who just is it. like going back to the idea of how do you, how do you describe red to somebody? Yeah. That's what it feels like. When you when you get an engineer that understands red without having to explain it to them, so you could just That's say, it. "Look, this is what we're trying to do." They're like, "I got it, no problem. I'll go figure it out." Because yeah. they understand all this very difficult, very nuanced part of the dialogue and description of what you're looking for. Hopefully. And I mean, the, those those are usually people that come tap me on the back. I'm sitting in the animation director chair, and I get yeah. tapped by them, going, "Hey, have you seen the latest run stuff? Because it looks like garbage in the game right now." And I'm like, 
wow, an engineer's yeah. coming to tell me that. That's great. Normally, you think that an, an animator would get their, their nose out of joint because like, who is an engineer to tell me? I'm like, no, 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 yeah. it's because yeah. I know that they get it. And they're looking exactly. at it not from a technical perspective and not only even from an animation perspective. They're looking at it from the game perspective and balancing all those things. And that's worth its weight in gold. So if you ever get your hands on one of these unicorns, hold on to them because otherwise I'm going to come find them and steal them. Oh, yeah, for sure. That are really rare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm looking for them right now. I'm looking for as many of them as possible. <laughs> Harvey, you mentioned that, uh, you know, it's still a very uh, young uh, industry and you've been uh, in it for quite some time now. Let's say we push, we fast forward ourselves 10, 20 years in the future in a moment that the industry is a little bit more mature in the sure. end. Uh, so how would you see maybe not the game themselves, but game development getting to a mature point that, OK, we are more efficient. We know what. How, how would you uh what would be the difference with how yeah. we uh, do things that today? is that is a very good question that's a very good question a very tough one to, to to actually answer but i feel i feel like um games are going to we're going to reside in this world where we're going to have triple a games that are going to be longer they're going to take longer to develop mm. uh, and and the reason why i'm saying this is because even gamers are now getting to the conclusion that I don't want the game now. I want the game when it's ready. And mm -hmm. and I think Cyberpunk, once again, was a good example of this, right? Because the gamers, for the longest time, they were like, when is the game going to come out? When is the game going yeah. to come out? I felt that when I was working Battlefield and Battlefront. The level of pressure that you get about, like, if you if you actually promise a date, then and you don't deliver on that good date, yeah. people get incredibly disappointed. And you don't want to disappoint a hardcore gamer because they are yeah. incredibly vocal. <laughs> And and very, also very vocal. very vocal. And then I was on the flip side of the coin when I worked in Star Wars Battlefront, where you get gamers and Star Wars fans coming for you, which is like the two most hardcore fans ever. Which is when they love you, they really love you, but when they don't like you, they really don't like you. Mm -hmm. So I think that gamers are now understanding that games are not really ready to come out uh, when they want to they are ready to yeah. come out when the developers are ready so i think AAA games are always going to take longer so i anticipate games taking seven years it's like the last of us and all that stuff most likely longer <laughs> and and maybe one game comes out every generation of the of the console but when it comes out it's like ghost of tsushima which is amazing right um so i think that's going to be one and then it's going to be another section of the game where it's going to have the double a games like the mid-level studio mm. that is going to be independent and i think those studios can be more agile and they're going to have less people but they're going to have people for longer time and those yeah. people are going to be able to work together so well you know like hades yeah, like the game example. that comes perfect example. Independent studio, small team, incredibly small team, amazing game, game of the year, yeah. everywhere, and yeah. it's not considered AAA, right? No. It was never considered AAA from the no. beginning because the team is so small and yeah. they're not owned by anybody, they're owned by themselves, yeah. which is beautiful. But their staff has been there since way back in the day when they were doing transistor and all that, right? It's making AAA money though. That's the it's making AAA money. Exactly. It was a double A model is how they structured the team and the scope of the game. But yeah. like it just goes to show you that like if you know you knock that out of the park, and I yeah. mean because it costs so much less to make, the profits are even that much sweeter yeah, because higher. yeah because that's, and, you know, and that's just, the bottom line. And they just keep on investing on their own company yep. as well, right? Like yep. they actually pick up those profits, put it on the next game, and they make it bigger and all that stuff. So I feel like that's what we're gonna end up in. I do think that twenty years from now, when I'm a, like a really old man, 
I think that people are probably not going to crunch. <laughs> I think that crunch is going to be a thing of the past. At, at least uh, that's what I hope. And if there's crunch, I think it's going to be very little. I think people, studios are going to know when to do it, and it's going to be most likely within within a month mm -hmm. or a few weeks to final the game, maybe. And uh, I think like the company that I used to work for, Dice, they did it the best, which where they asked us kindly to if you could you should make like have over time and all that stuff help us finish the game but no one was forced to do it and then they went above and beyond and they actually kind of like you know paid a little extra and gave people more bonuses and there was motives and incentives to do it mm -hmm. even then most of the studio took the holiday and this is because in sweden everyone takes july off like Sweden is deserted in July, like no one works. So they were asking the people, <laughs> it's beautiful, it's amazing. <laughs> so they were asking people to work that month, right? And me coming from a developer mindset in Europe and working in the UK, I'm like, I'm gonna take the bonus, I'm gonna take the money, I'm gonna work in July. But having the mentality that you can or you can't is completely up to you, depending on the circumstances. I think that's the best way to go about it. And if we don't make that deadline, and we ask you to take extra time, then we push that deadline, we push the, the publishing date to a later date because we're not ready yet. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how we should be going forward. Yeah. That would be great because I agree with you that the, the, the level of inefficiency when you have massive team of people that never work with each other, which is when you need to ramp up like crazy in the crunch, yeah. people are efficient, I don't know, 10, 15%. Uh, compared to a tight core team that you know they, they don't even have to say words sometime and they just are oh, yeah. a sentence and the other can finish it those people are 300 percent more uh, yeah. efficient so i agree that if we go in a direction that studio recognize that you know it, it's it, it's not just for the game developers it's also a good business model that get more yeah. out of the people that you do for for the game exactly. so have a smaller team make sure that you have the right people on the bus get out of mm -hmm. the wrong people on the bus get longer period of time and for the same budget you'll have a way uh, yeah. better game uh, i think that would yeah. be a great place to go for sure completely and you have consistency as well right because if you have the same people over a certain amount of the years it means that you can actually get the next game to be as good or better than the last one and, mm, yeah. and you just keep on building. Theoretically, I think the other the other part of the, uh, the the equation here is too going back to the subject of how do we make games. I think as an industry, we need to mature both the the double A and the triple A. The double A have no choice but to be a bit more. Yeah, uh, I know what I say without how to say this in a politically correct kind of fashion, but they have to be a little bit more calculated when it comes to how to make a game because they just don't have the kind of same kind of funds that these deep pocket AAA studios have. So they make a mistake. I mean, I've watched AAA game companies from I, while I was there, watch millions of dollars just get burned because oh, yeah. they're like, you know what? Nope, this game, we're just going to shut it down. Where you imagine a double A studio to try to do that, they, it, would, it would ruin them because it's oh, like yeah, they sure. put all those eggs in that one basket, right? So I think yeah. that both both these groups both benefit by perfecting the formula because yeah. obviously the big AAA studios just stand to make more profit because they can bring the cost down and the AA studios have a better, ch better chance of success, which is obviously what they're aiming for so they can make a second game or a third and a fourth. So the idea is, in my mind, I think we're going to see, and I think this came up when we were talking to David Gibson as well, naturally, is the the way you make games and, and, and as technology is now starting. I mean, we, we came a long way from the beginning of games. Right? You, you, you pointed it out quite clearly that games are still relatively new, so it's obvious that we still don't really know exactly the best way of doing it. 
And part of it is, is you know, evolution of, of, of accessibility into the very technical realm that is necessary to make a game, i.e. engines. So you look at the, you know, you look at Unity and you look at, at Unreal, one of the most notable advances those two particular engines are providing is accessibility for content creators. For you don't sure. need to be a programmer. You, video games, you have to remember at the beginning, that was the domain of, of programmers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Programmers, and like, there, there's a reason why programmer art is a term. It's because yeah. that's essentially what was in those games, right? There's a reason why, I mean, 8-bit graphic games didn't have to, like, sure, 8-bits is not a lot of work with, but but an artist can be a lot more creative with it, which is why you see think games like Prince of Persia, like the original one, that was a pixel-based, sprite-based game, yet it was awesome. Like, it yeah. looked great because an artist was involved as opposed to just relying solely on an engineer because engineers are awesome at engineering things and artists tend to be good at the other things. So the, my point I'm trying to make, even though I'm taking a long time to say it, is that I think that you're going to start to see more of that. I think that, yeah. and, and when, when that happens, it allows for the quick prototyping of a concept before spending all that time and money and energy committing to a product that you don't even know is valid or, 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 or viable. Yeah. Like it, it, this is the biggest problem with a lot of these companies that they don't know yet. It takes them halfway through making the game to realize, oh, Jesus, this is a, yeah. this is a dud. Like I, we can't put this out there. We have to make a tear, tear it down or make gigantic crippling changes to the game yeah. in order to make it uh, marketable. And, and um, there's something else to be said about like independent developers as well. Like this is another thing that I can see a lot because the YouTube like generation nowadays, they learn faster than anyone previous, true. right? Like, true. like I was speaking with somebody. Overload. Oh, it's incredible. I was speaking with somebody, a uh, YouTuber uh, called Cinematic Captures. Shout out to him if he's watching this. And uh, he does these Star Wars shorts. Like he just like he has a production in his studio. He's really mm -hmm. relatively young, and he grabs these models and then put them to puts them together and creates these shorts that are mm -hmm. like you know fan made. And he was in uni and we're talking, and he was telling me that he was teaching the teachers more than the teachers were teaching him, <laughs> because most of the information was already in YouTube, and he felt very much like you know this Classic. was you know. And, and, and it's funny though, because I feel like games is going the same way. First, we're getting a lot of funds out there that are made for indie developers. I don't know yep. if you guys know this, but yeah, there's lots of people out there that get together, people that are in games that already made a bunch of money and mm -hmm. they go into a fund and they'll be like, okay, just pitch, pitch us ideas and then yep. feel like your idea will give you money for it. So that's one, quite easy to actually get in. And the second is quite easy to learn. If you actually do Unreal or Unity, yeah. it's very easy for you to learn how well, to not only code. Relatively speaking, especially relative, easier to learn. For sure. Uh, code or art. And you can be both in one person. Like there's so many indie developers out there that have made a lot of money. Um, Super Meat Boy is a good example, yeah, right? Really made a lot of money. Point. Two guys, and they just yeah. learn everything by themselves. One more artistic yeah. than other, one more more engineer than other. Got together, made an amazing game, and made a lot of money from it. And I think yeah. there's something to be said about that area as well, because when you add that on top of the step, everything mm -hmm. that we talked about, double A and triple A, I think the games industry is just bound to actually kind of excel. Just it's going to be the yeah. next big thing. Well, it's already yeah. the next big thing, but it's just going to get bigger as it goes. <laughs> yeah.
And, and we'll see we'll see a lot of games come out that normally would never come out to because now people could ship a game without even having a necessarily a friend who's a programmer who's willing to spend the kind of time and energy that it takes to put a game out there. Like you see these games showing up now on the market. They were all done with blueprints and yeah. uh, they may not be a gigantic triple A game, but they're but they're a game and they're fun and they're successful and they sell money and they make they make money. So it just goes to show you that that's great because that means stimulates the creativity, it raises the bar across the board, and it suddenly changes the term of terms of engagement of the whole just the marketplace, you know, yeah. uh, in, in video games in general. Cool. Harvey, any, any thoughts on the VR? Oh boy. Yes. Uh, I do. I have thoughts. I have many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> where, where do you see it now and how do we see it? Uh, uh, if that's a discussion I had with uh, Brent recently that for him, we're getting to a point that it's really maybe not mainstream yet, but getting there. And for me, I, like, I don't know. I feel it's been five years that we're almost yeah. there in Marvel's Mirror and maybe another five years well. So where do you see it here? And when do you see it really take off, take off. Uh, in the future? Um, I actually don't see it taking off. I, I see really? AR. I see AR taking off, mm -hmm. but not VR. Uh, and this controversial, controversial statements for everybody out there that actually loves Perfect. VR. We, we like it. That's how we like our business. <laughs> <laughs> Explain <Because>, yourself. <laughs> yeah, because of this. Story, like looking back at story and at history, um, Valve, obviously, they were pretty much the ones that created VR, right? The guy that created VR went back to like Facebook with Oculus and all that stuff. And then now Valve has their own headsets. Mm -hmm. But Valve have been good, very good at doing one thing, which is set the standards for whatever new platform or whatever new genre there is out there, right? And they have a saying, and this is just my opinion, they have a saying and a stake into making VR as successful as possible because they are all in into VR, much yeah. more even than Facebook, right? So I was waiting for Valve to create the title that was going to be the new Half-Life. Uh, you guys remember how when Half-Life came out, you just shake the whole industry to no end and you still feel in the ripples now. I was, I was hoping for them to create that title that would actually do the same thing and justify to people that this is why you actually and, play games in VR. Right? And you don't feel like Half-Life Alex did any of that? And I feel like Half-Life Half, Half Alex did a little bit of that. Yeah. but not enough to actually fully justify people that I, I need a VR headset now. Mm. Like, you know how like Nintendo Switch or like Nintendo Wii did, like this is like the nunchucks, right? Mm -hmm. Like they were a really difficult sell. But as soon as you saw the games, the Wii Sport and all this other stuff, you're like, I need one of those. I, and I, I was expecting Valve to do that for VR. And I don't, oh, if Valve didn't do it, I don't know who's going I, to do it. I almost wish this conversation started at the very beginning because I have a lot to say about this now too. I I don't know if I I, I agree and I disagree. <laughs> I think I think it comes down to I personally think it comes down to the um, the accessibility. Like it still feels a little bit daunting to put on a VR headset. You can't see what you're doing. It feels yeah. very disorienting. It's heavy still. Like they have they have a long way to go. And I think maybe I don't know maybe that's what you're thinking in AR because AR promises to be a little bit of more lightweight and a little less of that whole terrifying like i can't see anything because it's like it's instead of it instead yeah. of only seeing what it let, wants to let you see it sort of it, it merges reality with actually with 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 something that's vr like right that's Which it is interesting. exactly and, and this is why i think ar has so much potential because i feel like the people that i know that i've tried vr i including myself and i created content of vr and all that stuff is like 
they have always the two complaints, right? Like I cannot play this for too long. And games are medium, a medium that you have to play for too long. So obviously it becomes, even if you, even if you actually want to draw or do 3D, after a while it becomes really heavy. So mm. eventually it's going to become just like glasses. I, I assume so. But mm. even then, you're completely kind of like shut off from reality to the point that it becomes this concept like, like weird after a while, right? Because mm. you're so into it. Yeah. So I feel like humans, like we have a tendency to know what what what's going on out there. <laughs> like mm. what is like? Can I look at what is out there? Yeah. So I think AR gives you the best of both worlds. Where yeah. if you actually have an AR headset, there will be like glasses. Let's say then you can actually see what, what's in the world, but that uh, reality gets augmented. So who's yeah. to say that you cannot play in a Half-Life half -life Alex in real life, yeah. just like you do in AR, like in VR, but in AR. Yeah. And I think that's a much better, a much more compelling case for everybody because then you can play with your mates, right? You can yeah. play with each other on the same room and have that golden eye couch I, I just playing. They go, oh, go, yeah, like the classic vision of of couch co-op and golden eye. Couch co-op, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think it, it's funny that you 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 invoke the image of of golden eye because that was sort of like the golden era of the promise of what couch co-op is, and it's funny that Nintendo still seems to own that so well. Like it's, it's like great. they seem to have that couch co-op like thing cornered, where the other yeah. um, the other um, sort of uh, competitors tend to be more about online multiplayer. Where All where Nintendo's like, no, 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 we still think that. Our system, and it's true because it's nice because it, it keeps the Nintendo system a bit more niche, which is yeah. nice. Um, yeah. Uh, I I I, I want to so badly. I have to like literally stop myself because I want to get into this topic even more deeply <laughs> because it is so. It's, 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 a, great. it's, a, it's good, a great topic. It's it, a great topic. It, it is a good one. It's good. Yeah. And there's, I mean, because I saw a bunch of people in the chat saying, "Oh, it's it's really the price that's the most uh, the most uh, limiting thing," and I don't Brent, even no. agree with that. No. Brent knows that I'm good to throw those little. Bombs. Oh yeah, good job. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. It's a great question. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess, no, like, well, I, I think Oculus is doing well about having, like, wireless headsets, right? They yeah, don't and, and have they have to have a PC and all that. Exactly, so. and they have the pass-through feature, too, which is sort of like, I, I think I think we're both probably, if we were to talk longer about this, I think we probably have a common vision. It's just that you call it AR that's a, that's going to evolve, evolve, and yeah. I see it more like VR that evolves. It's the truth is yeah. I think they need to meet in the middle somewhere, because at the end of the day, with a pass-through feature, with a headset on, if it's lighter weight, it should feel like AR anyways. Because it's like looking through my mirrorless camera. You have a mirrorless camera. You're using your uh, your EOS R, right? And yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. They've replaced the SLRs. Now you're just literally getting in the viewfinder. It is not yeah. an actual image of what you see through the, the the lens. It's a digital replication. It's essentially what you what you're going to be taking a picture of. That is a, a digital viewfinder. So that in itself, you know what I mean? If 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 cameras can make that 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 switch, which was a scary one, because the enth photographic enthusiasts were really against this idea until yeah, the remember. resolution was good enough in those viewfinders that they're like, okay, you know what? It's You've almost enough. tricked my eye into thinking that what I'm seeing is actually just looking right down the lens yeah. with all the benefits of looking from the sensor's point of view, because now you see all the depth of field, you see li quite literally all of the things that you want to do, you want for the composing the shot without yeah. having to like clamp down the actual iris or anything like that. Um, yeah, I like. I think independently of what what we actually end up in, I think the future is incredibly bright. Yeah, I think I think going it's going somewhere, be right? Yeah, it's going. It's definitely going somewhere. Yeah, um, that's true. Uh, I do think that there needs to be something that actually captures the imagination of people, and that something hasn't been created yet. Mm. Uh, either VR or AR, both of them, right? Like Microsoft does this AR headsets, and then they say you can actually read your email and you can create yeah, a virtual yeah. desk and stuff. I don't want to do that in AR. Yeah, that's, no, that's me neither. Kind of boring. That is but not a fantasy that I have. That's 
but I do want to play Mario Kart like Nintendo did. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that. that's fun. Like that, oh, that's yeah, what man. I want to do in AR. <laughs> sure. So cool. it's the same thing in VR. Like I think, I think, uh, I think Half-Life did a lot of things that people didn't expect. Um, and it's much more realistic. It's much yeah. better. And they push the medium forward slightly, but it's not Half-Life jump leap into the future it's not like i need to own this headset in order to play this game i just feel like if more people had access to the headset they might feel a bit differently i just i mean maybe you're just maybe you're like i, I think the two of us because we know vr like we know yeah. what it has to offer so we understand it but like when yeah. i get like when i get my my mom to wear a vr headset she's just like it captures her maybe not enough to want her to go buy one and i think that's the main question and right that's the main like, question yeah, yeah yeah do you want so, to is, is it like nintendo wii worthy yeah right well, is, it, is it like that craze of like yeah. i want to buy one for myself and my kids and my mom and my auntie like people yeah. used to do when the wii came out right yeah, yeah. that's basically what you want because yeah you yeah. actually ship a vr headset like oculus with a, a game that is the this game changing game and yeah. people get to see why this is needed then yeah. you have yeah. an in and I, th I don't think we have an in yet yeah, yeah. and yeah. I'm not sure if this in is is just going to be coming from from game because if we look at a game for it's like Fortnite for for instance, the the reason why it's crack cocaine for for the kids is not just the game itself. <laughs> it, no. It's the no, social it's the community, of it. yeah, that's the social. Remove exactly. the remove the friends, remove oh, yeah. the the headset and talking. Fortnite is a completely different game that is uh -huh. not as popular as. So maybe yeah. it's this social aspect coming in VR that you you see your virtual avatar of your you know either friends or buddies yeah. or whoever that are there that is going to create this kind of communal connection that all of a sudden is going to make it mainstream because it's going to Completely. bring it to another Completely. level because people yeah. are talking about this this virtual um you guys know second life yeah second life is like yeah well people are talking about that like that's the best what case scenario that be like? for a vr yeah, headset, yeah. right for like sure. actually yeah. being there and meeting yeah, I mean, if people, like people used to play still play um a world of warcraft and they actually used to get married and make oh, yeah. friends and like <laughs> your social life was in the game yeah yeah right yeah you, yeah you had to be there in order to be social yeah. not going to the street but in the game yeah so if anyone can create that in vr then that reality is going to become really really nice as yeah long exactly as the comfortable like ready yeah. player one level where like it is quite literally a second version of your life that you live online and it's so believable and a bunch of people in chat were, were also dropping a bunch of other barriers of entry and another barrier of entry is obviously that there's a lot of motion sickness involved with vr and i think yeah. that that's a lot of that's technological though i think that it comes down to frame rates it comes down yeah. to like we're at that we're like i'm I, we're just at the we're at the start like all the stuff that was that happened before this was all the preamble, all the theory. I feel like now when you take a look at like say a quest two and what, what is soon will be the quest three, which is just, I'm sure just on the horizon. Um, I, I believe that they are going to start solving some of those problems. I'd like yeah. to think. And even, even money though. I mean, like it's hard to say that money is the barrier of entry when it would cost a, the same amount of money or more to buy a, a, a console. And you have these quests that are like standalone systems. You don't need to plug it into a computer. You'd have to buy either a computer or a console to play any of these other games. And so you know, it could be it, it could be very easily justifiable to buy that instead if you're just into that kind of a type of game. But I do believe we'll see where it all goes. It's 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 obvious that there's there's something there, but there's going to yeah. be you know, it's software they have to they have to essentially prove the format. Like you're saying, some software needs to come out to make it like oh, 
that's yeah. why I be I be a bard. It's like it's like completely there's it's it's impossible to deny that that's a good reason yeah, why a good reason. Yeah, because yeah. the software is the is the one that actually it is. sells the Ultimately. hardware, right? It's always, always that way. Yeah. Otherwise, and, it's uh, just a doorway. Yeah, exactly. And as long as long as the future doesn't look like Black Mirror, that people just <laughs> disconnect and get consumed by this thing, then we are all to a good thing. <laughs> Peter in 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 uh. And chat said, if it's also bad if you have friends who like to play pranks on you while while you're playing in VR and they pull your pants down. I I, <laughs> I, I, I feel like that's less of a VR problem and less and more of a you chose bad friends problem. I feel, I feel like anybody, it's, but, that's a very specific example. It's a very <laughs> hyper specific example. Oh, Peter, thanks thanks for you being here, buddy. Um, okay, so I'm gonna take a second. I, we have about 13 minutes left. I want to make sure that we have a chance to ask some um, ask some questions that have been coming from the community. Um, Otherwise, I will uh, let's do it. fail my duty here. So um, let's start with one of the ones that are in my spreadsheet here. Um, this is a good one. We kind of touched on this a little bit. We didn't really dig in too deep, but can, a, can, can beginner animators start their career in video games as a cinematic animator? Is there a barrier of entry there? Is there an expectation to do something else in your mind? No, not really. You can actually start as a cinematic animator. That's for sure. The mm -hmm. thing is, being a cinematic animator is more keen to what a film with yeah. like an animator or VFX animator would be. So you have the linear pipeline. You still have to work with gameplay because your cinematics need to slot into gameplay. But basically the planning and the execution is very linear. So it's a good way for you to get in and get a preview of what the games industry is or, or how it works. However, mm -hmm. if your ultimate goal is to be gameplay animator, then you have to kind of come out of that shell and just go and learn how like the engine works, implementation, mm -hmm. yeah. separating animations, how, how, how things work under the hood. Um, that is a bit more difficult. Um, and it takes a little longer. But I would agree it's a great way to get through the door and mm -hmm. be hired because you have your feature experience, cinematic it's, and then slowly from cutscene and scripted event and interested and eventually getting to gameplay. So yeah, completely. Yeah. You know this David, because you, you are exactly in that position, right? That would be a great strategy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, it, it's a tricky one for me because I, the, the irony is that it is being a cinematic animator means that there's a lower barrier of entry when it comes to the technical side of things. It'll, it would be a perfect gateway into games as just an animator who has pure animation skills because it's, it'd be a great way to be able to learn at your own rate and maybe even eventually migrate over to the gameplay department if that's something that interests you. Um, but the, so there's that. But I think that the thing that get, that kind of works against you is there in from at least from my perspective, all the game companies I've worked at, there's an expectation that the cinematic animators are some of the better animators on the team because they're able to produce highly real, realized, like high quality of realization to the to the cinematics. It's not always the case. I mean, every team needs some juniors, right? So like if you're lucky enough that there's a junior role and you show some promise, then you might get you might get your chance. So I just it, it, what I guess what I'm getting at is if you know it, if your technical skills are a little low but you still need to have a decent, you know, animation oh, yeah. skill level, you know, like, so I think that you, you like, it, it, and in some cases, I think you'd be, have an easier time getting on a television production, for instance, as a new animator than you would a cinematic job on a, on a video game. Cause it just, the expectations are high. Um, yeah. I find but on the quality. It, it depends what is the test because there's also yeah, sure. some, you know, you're right. uh, you know uh, there's some mocap cleaning that needs to yeah, be yeah. done. No, you're well. right. That could yeah, be another right. entry. Like, like start with that and slowly yeah. we give you shots and yeah. So yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah and 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 it also depends how big the studio is because if you start as a cinematic animator mm -hmm. in a AAA studio, 
um, you might be stuck there uh, without wanting to go because gameplay animators are the ones that are the part of the core team based on my experience cinematic animators are the ones that are normally can be contracted in and out um, and feel slightly more disposable so if you actually kind of like want to actually learn about animation or gameplay or whatever then yeah you have to actually make sure that you get in the best you can and make sure that you have some lateral movement to actually kind of a change between cinematics and gameplay and ask that question early on yeah uh, the opportunities there i have to say that's kind of true i mean I, I i i enjoy both sides of that equation i really really enjoy um you know directing performers for cinematic for video yeah. game um cinematics i really really like that part of the job um and i like just the polish that goes into making cinematics and the storytelling and the narrative but because i because I've shown that I have skill and understanding in the area of gameplay mechanics, I yeah. tend to get pulled there because there's usually a vacuum in that area. I find that there's finding, especially finding good leads and directors in that area, uh, people that really get, to get, it is hard because I find that yeah. I, the, unfortunately many, many animator, uh, anim sorry, animators and animation directors before me in some of these positions have unfortunately created a bit of a bad name for that role and that like yeah. that some of them some of them come in there and they're just like oh they're just sandbagging around their their animation department protecting their animators and just trying to make the animations look really great as opposed to focusing on making a good game That's and it. and and leveraging animation to make a to make the game better which is a completely different mindset as i'm sure yeah. you drank that kool-aid a long time ago otherwise you wouldn't enjoy the job that you do but i mean sure. but not everyone gets that Right. And a lot of animators don't get that, too. But so where it's, it's super important to have um, someone like a, a, someone who's in a leadership position on the team who definitely gets that so that they can help shape the culture of other animators that are also setting out to do the same thing. Maybe reminding them that it's about the game. Make yeah. sure that the, that the feature is fun and is awesome and, and satisfies. Yes, sure. The animation is a big part of satisfying the yeah, player fantasy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, exactly. but it can't suck to play if it's too That's slow. It. It's too slow and it's going to be annoying. So it's uh, it can you so yes I I those are that's a really good piece of advice there the idea of choose your industry well too so if you want to have a bit more of a generalized you know, be exposed to more things look for maybe the smaller companies because it's going to be expected yeah. of you to do a little bit of everything and it's a good way to sort of cut your teeth and really understand the industry and pick what part of the job you like the most before sure. you try to move into a bigger company it's a good one yeah. um, I got another one here oh Dave you're going to say something. Well, yeah, there, there's a uh, pretty interesting one that was just pulled oh, in, in, uh, 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 in chat. Yeah, so any thoughts using VR with, oh. with Maya? Because we've been talking about mm -hmm. VR as video game, but there might yeah. be other oh, yeah, that's true. So yeah. uh, do you think that it could VR. be a tool of creation for uh, artists, or digital artists, or animators to use it to be in Maya yeah. and manipulate the, their uh, character directly? Yeah, it's funny they asked that because Maya 2021 uh, 2022 uh, actually has like a separate package now that you can actually draw yep. right in in, yep. in in VR, which yep. is really really cool. Now, I think manipulating characters in animating in 3D because of the amount of time that you spend mm. just creating a pose, you probably get to about two or three poses, and then you probably want to put the VR headset down because <laughs> it takes so long Iron. for you to do that, right? Yeah, it's um, true. So unless you have, instead of having the controllers, unless you have actually fingers that you can pull things and move things around and it's easier to move in 3D, um, I think animating in 3D uh, or in VR, I think is very far away from what it is now. I think the drawing is easier because you can manipulate, rotate the area and, and draw, but yeah. uh, animating probably a bit more difficult. 
it's it's an interesting one because i mean it's very meta to think that you'd be making a vr game while in vr like it's like what the yeah, and it's possible <laughs> and you can like for instance unreal allows you they have the tools there's yeah. there's a tool set in unreal where you can literally develop the game in vr you know, like they, there's there, you could be doing level design and placing all the bits and pieces. And that's an experience. If you've never, never tried that before, you should. I think that the interesting thing when it comes to animating, I agree with you because it would feel more like um, it'd be almost like stop motion animation. So the rigs would have to also lend themselves to that yeah, sort yeah. of experience. You know what I mean? I wouldn't want to yeah. be in VR trying to grab little handles and move like it would be annoying. Yeah, but if I could feel like I could grab an arm and just move it like I could a, like a little maquette then yeah. okay then you know what sign me up for that experience which is why i think if you're interested in this space at all you should definitely check out quill quill is a uh, yeah. vr software that you it, it's not quite it's not the same they don't even have quill for the vr standalone it's only for pc right now but they have yeah. they have pixel shift which is uh, i think is that google's pixel yeah. is it called mm -hmm. is it pixel shift so it's i think it's google yeah yeah so they that but it doesn't it doesn't let you animate in there where quill on the pc does and if you've ever experienced any of these beautiful hand sketched and hand animated sequences that are in vr from quill you need to check them out because they are yeah. on another on another level but how that would translate into a game is a little bit out of my uh, yeah. scope of understanding it's, it's it feels very like an artistic expression as more so than the, the technical aspects that go into making game animation. yeah exactly there's a, a good animator a disney animator called that daniel Peche. uh mm. he actually does these beautiful animations in quill yeah. Um, and in 3D, he's a, a beautiful, like a, a great animator, and he does beautiful work. But yeah, he's like, he's almost like akin to Okami. I don't know if you guys remember this like yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, it feels, yeah, exactly. It feels the like painting. almost like painting, like Japanese yep. painting. Yep, totally. Um, so it looks really beautiful. Creating a game, a full game like that in VR, guaranteed someone is going to do that at some point, and it's going to be an amazing achievement. <laughs> Because it's going to take a, quite a while, quite a while to actually do it. But I think it's definitely doable. The tools are there; um, they're just clunky at the moment. Yeah, I agree. It, it, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I'm excited to see where it goes because we're seeing more and more of these softwares try to adopt it. As we see now, Autodesk with Maya trying to do exactly the same thing. Although it's not really an interface for Maya, isn't it kind of almost like a standalone thing? It's like a standalone thing. Yeah, it's, it's like, like you know because. Autodesk made Sketchbook, which is an Autodesk product that is for like tablet drawing and stuff like this. So it's probably like it sounds like Autodesk's their contribution to the to the competitive market that, that Pixel it. Shift and 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 Quill live in. Because I mean, they, yeah. it, obviously they see that as a market that's going to grow. We'll see. Completely. I got another one here from uh, from my spreadsheet. Um, we got like time for maybe one or two more, and then we're gonna have to. Call it a day. Um, yeah. In, then after um, that, there. Oh, sorry, Brent. Then, then after that, there's another good one from from chat. So let, let's go with two two last. Okay. So one 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 from here, and then one from chat. Okay. Perfect. So I have one here from Old Man Skippy Thirty Eight, but which I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, in an interview, when asked, and, and this is a good one because it speaks to the culture of video game production. So I think it's really good for people to hear this one. In an interview, when asked, "quote unquote," what game are you playing? Is it okay to say I put down the controller a while ago to, to working on my own projects? But still enjoy watching playthroughs and keeping up with the industry. This is such a charged. <laughs> this is such a specific question, and I mean, I like. I really feel like this question comes like from it. experience. I like it too. It's it's a good yeah. one. Let's, let's let's let us discuss. Okay. Cool. Let us discuss. That's a good one. So um, I think, based on my experience, like you need to really play games. Yeah, because here's the thing about the games industry: game development is a really long process. So whenever you get hired into the games industry, it's, it is about your talent, but that's about 60%, 70% of what gets you in. The rest is about your personality and what kind of play, player or person you are. Mm. And 
can I work with you for the long run without wanting to actually strangle you after three months, right? <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it something that I can see you like hanging out? Can we be friends, right? Hmm. So when you come into the interview, the, one of the first things they will ask you is what kind of games you're playing. Yeah. And that question actually goes deeper than just yeah, saying, way deeper. I like uncharted, yeah, that's, that's it. Because yeah. what happens is that if you can like make a conversation with a person about like the games and you have some games in common and you understand what they're trying to say and with the passion for the game and why they like it and how deep, how many hours they played, all of that stuff, you can connect. If I'm the developer and I'm interviewing you, I can connect with your passion because maybe I'm not playing anymore, but yeah. if you're playing it and it's a game that we do in our company, let's say a battlefield when I was working at DICE, and you show me your interest and you know the weapons and you know the lore and you know all that stuff, that to me tells me that this guy is not only going to be a good animator, but also understands what we're on about and he's going to be here for the long run, right? So this is why it's so important. And the other side of the, the question as well is that the technicalities of games if you are actually are talking about games and you understand how games are made and you understand what makes them a good game and the mechanics of the game, then it means that it's going to be very easy for you to learn about the, like how to actually add things to Unreal and how to understand game animation systems and how to talk with coders and engineers about certain things that you need to do and explain to them why you want to do them, right? Because if you can explain to me why Overwatch has really awesome mechanics whenever they shoot or whenever they jump or whatever, then it means that you can explain to a coder, to an engineer, why these mechanics that we want to implement will actually be good in game. So this is why it's so important for you to actually continuously play games and dissect yeah. them as well yeah. and analyze them. Because if you do, then you're going to be have an aim. Without any talent, you're going to have an aim into the games industry. Yeah, it's like you. There, there, part of the question is, yes, it's, it's sort of a personality test, but I agree. It's also, do you understand the culture of games to do, do you understand yeah. the product we're making like why would i hire you to help design a, a, a race car if you don't even like driving you don't even have a license yeah, why would i do that yeah you're basically, you're basically saying like it's a nice car i don't know how it's made but i'll exactly. like to, help you to do it exactly yeah. so like that's really what they're trying to get down to and if you don't you don't need to be a pro but what you need to be able to do is express yourself because they're also testing your ability to collaborate and explain your point of view, right? So when you go, when they ask you, okay, what game are you playing? And you're like Uncharted. And then they go, well, what about Uncharted do you like so much? Why do you keep playing it? And if you don't have an answer for that, then it sort of makes them sort of wonder like, well, do you understand? Like, I need you to know why that game That's is it. so good. Because if I don't, if you don't know, then how are you going to be a useful person on my production floor and speak exactly. up during meetings and go, hey, I don't think this is going to be very much fun because I saw that in a game the other day and that game flopped hard. And I think yeah, it's the same thing. We're, we're talking with the same. So it's like we depend on one another on those production floors to keep everyone in check and to like make sure that someone doesn't spend too much time navel gazing their really cool idea. We always have to reflect on what is, we're not making this game for us. We're making it for a greater group of people than it is gamers in general. And like, obviously, you know, we need to always keep them in mind and we need to always remember what works and what doesn't work when we see what's going on in the marketplace. For sure. Yeah. No, it's a, it's, it's a funny one because this one does come up and it, a lot of people are kind of put off by those kind of questions. I think in interviews, yeah. there's like, well, it seems kind of like, it seems almost cult-like that they want to talk about video games. Like, well, no, it's, it's, no it's it would just, be the same thing. It's like, if you were getting a job at... If you actually ahead. go to a film, if you actually go to a film studio, exactly. it doesn't matter what it is. You I don't guarantee they will ask you about actors and of directors and are. who's the producer of and why do you like course. it and cinematography. And you yeah. have to know these things because if you yes. don't know these things and you just say, I just want to work for your studio, but I don't know anything about movies, then what does it yeah. say about you? 
Right. Yeah. And it, and it also makes me, I've seen a, like retention's a problem. Like if I have someone at the table that's, that's asking, they're, they're convinced they want to be a game animator, but they don't even play games. How do I know that I'm not going to invest a ton of time and energy into training you up? And then you just are like, you know what? I don't really like this very much. It's because you didn't know anything about it. And you don't, you never even spend any time thinking about what that job was before you even applied. Yet you were very convinced that you wanted it. It's like, it's just, it says volumes about you. If you go to the table and you're not even passionate about the thing that you're saying that you want to get a job to do. And, 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 and one last thing, like, um, I actually think that things have changed. I tell this to my students all the time. Things have changed dramatically from before. When I started, I, I actually submitted like a film showreel. And with a film showreel, you could get into the game studio with no problem because yeah. games was seen as the secondary thing yeah. that people would actually go to when they, whenever you don't get into Pixar or whatever. Yeah, right? it's hilarious. So yeah, that was that was games back then. Yeah, but now not anymore. Now is the opposite, right? Oh, yeah. Everyone that yeah. wants to be an animator nowadays wants to actually get into games. Or if you play games, if you're a gamer, then normally you want to be a gameplay animator. And I see that all the time in my channel and my yeah. and my students and all that stuff. So. What this has created is that the games industry now are very specific on who they hire because now they are spoiled for choice. So if you're yep. just an animator that actually wants to work in film and you happen to apply for a gameplay studio because you thought that's going to be an easy in, it's not going to work out for you because exactly all these things that we're talking about. Because mm-hmm. it's not only about your showreel showcasing that you actually want to do gameplay animation, but it's also you as a person. How yep. passionate are you about games and how, yeah. how how can you explain to me certain things about games? If you have those two things, then you're gonna definitely gonna be in. You're gonna be yep. through that interview. Yep. But if you actually Absolutely. apply with a show reel that is generic and has the regular walk cycle and and like yeah. acting shot and stuff, and then you get to ask an interview and then they bring you over and they ask you about what games do you play, and you go like, I Man. don't really have a console. Yeah. I used to play no, when I was you. a child, but I don't play anymore that's going to be very difficult to sell. <laughs> yeah, really. I and I mean, wh- go ahead, David. No, I was going to segue to the next question. So, Oh, please. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we oh, could probably ahead. linger on this forever it's because it's Because that was the perfect, the perfect segue, and that's a question that I think is going to bring uh, a lot of value to the uh, community when we talk about uh, recruiting. Uh, what are some things that you expect or like to see in the demo reel for game animation? Do you have uh, tips uh, to, yes. to stand out? So for a sure. show reel that would be specific I love game. I, you know, I want to do, what do you want to see in a show reel for someone that would want to do gameplay animation? Yeah, that, that's a great question again. So by the way, I'm super yellow. I'm sorry about that. It's my, my light. I don't have my lights on. <laughs> I thought oh, you were just, I thought you were. I'm not this yellow. Yeah. yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so like, I think what you have to, going back to that idea that you need to actually sh- uh, set your showreel or create your showreel specific for games. Um, creating a gameplay showreel, you need to actually think, I go into this in my, my videos, think about animation systems and how they are like how they are broken down, I think. And if you have like specific shots, it's fine, the walk cycle or run cycle and stuff, it's fine, but it's gonna come across as a generic showreel. What you can do for a gameplay uh, showreel is start breaking down specific motion in body mechanics so you can actually get a walk cycle that goes into a run cycle that goes into a jump that goes into a punch and it goes into a landing but when you actually do those things make sure that you actually leave some time in between add some graphics on top with an x and y mm-hmm. um, add some like arrows that you have to do because what that would tell me 
as a developer is that this person not only did the animations, but they are also thinking about animation systems. They are thinking that when I press X, the character does this motion. When I press forward, the character does other motion. And when I land, I can land this in, cool, in this cool way, recoil and go back to idle. That means that you are thinking about animation systems and it was th animating thinking about animation in a systematic way, because yeah. this is what games are about, right? It's about breaking down systems yes. and this animation fits within this system and then this other animation mm. fits in within this other system. So if you can actually portray that, it doesn't have to be rendered. It doesn't have to be in Unreal. You can just make it in Maya and make yeah. it believe. But the most important thing is for us to understand that you are thinking about it that way, because yep. if you have a showreel that way, that is broken down in, in, in those, those kind of ways, first-person animations, third-person animations, doesn't matter what it is. When you send that showreel in and we ask you over to for an interview, guaranteed we're going to ask you, so how would you think this would work and what inspired mm -hmm. you to create these motions, right? Yep. Most likely, Prince of Persia or, I don't know, um, Uncharted or whatever it was, right? And then we can actually start a conversation about exactly why you actually got this inspiration and what works, what doesn't, yeah. uh, all that stuff. And that stuff is great. Uh, saves a bunch of time and stands out amazingly from all the other showreels that I totally I'm agree. It's a great conversation mm -hmm. starter because, like, just like you said, that's exactly what would happen. Is I would you know have you in for an interview, but I now the reason why you're getting pulled in is because yeah. you've intrigued me. It's like you're that's you're. It. It's like a you. It's like a signature that you ended at the end of your demo reel that essentially oh, it's like a hand, secret handshake that says. I get it. I understand that games are made up of multiple little pieces of little puzzle pieces and the gestalt is the game. But I understand that my job is to make the little parts that make the game. And I'm just trying to broadcast that just by the way you say that in a very subtle way on the reel is enough to make me go, okay, because next to that reel is usually just the typical, a bunch of game cycle, like just a bunch of run just, cycles and yeah. just these animations that I, I'm looking at right away going, that would never fit into a game because of this, exactly. this, this, and this. And this For is sure. the thing. It's like just the fact that you're thinking on that level immediately means that you're much more hireable right off the bat because yeah, you're, you're, you're ready to be enter, enter in that into the world of making a game. Yeah, and, and something else to add, and this is independently if it's for games or film, people want to be entertained and yeah. this is more important than people might think but it's true and this is everybody including ourselves so me as a director david brent most likely if you're looking at any show reel any show reel whatsoever it needs to be entertaining yeah, because we go through so many show reels like daily totally. it's true. <laughs> so many show reels yeah they all start looking the same how does so, a break what when, whenever you actually find a show reel that actually caught, catches your eye and you're like, huh, yeah. this is really interesting. Yeah. It starts well. And if you can actually at least get the person to kind of go, this is interesting, then they will actually look at your second shot. And the second shot maybe like allows them to see this third shot and so, so on and so forth until they get to the end of the showreel. If you make it to the end of the showreel, then it means that you are in for a treat because people yeah. are intrigued totally. about certain pieces, how yeah. you created certain things and the yeah. timing and the spacing. And this, this animation has a lot of punch. This one doesn't for these reasons. Yeah. And you start analyzing things because everyone does that in animation. You start analyzing things and you start looking at, at the showreel like you used to when you were a student, when you used to see someone really good animating. Yeah. And that's what I know that is an animator that I want to hire because I'm starting to like pick on things that I like and I dislike. And yeah. that is cool because now you have my intention because mm -hmm. you made me see your showreel, you made me, you. I'm enjoying your showreel, and then I'm trying to think about 
what kind of things can I extrapolate from this that are useful to me in my in my company as a director? Can I hire this guy now? Yeah. And that's all you need. You just need entertainment and making sure that people can see your work and feel intrigued about it. Because then yep. that will start a conversation and it might end up with nothing, but at least you get people's attention. And that's yep. the most important thing. That's good advice. Just just pique someone's curiosity. Do something that surprises them because it's all because at the end of the day, David, you know, 100 percent Harvey's right. Like we yep. animators are many things, but one of the things at the very top of all that pyramid of things is we're entertainers. We are there to make sure that we're we cannot forget that element of our job. And so if you can't entertain the person who's looking at real, which I agree is maybe a bit of a tougher crowd because they're looking at reels probably all day. But if you can find a way of cracking the code and doing something fresh, something that will at least make them go, Hey, what the heck? And we got to deliver the goods. It can't just be something that surprises. Oh, yeah, and then, yeah. and then you just, you just drop the ball. It's gotta be catch my attention and then show me, you know, what you're talking about. And then you're going to get it. You're probably going to at least get a call for, for, for an interview. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I think Brett, we should do, do a one hour stream of how to properly I, do a, a, a show reel that will have not a bad uh, idea. You all the chance in the world to, to that is, that's a good idea. Yeah. Not a bad idea. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, it's 10, 11 minutes actually over. I don't want to overstay our welcome. Listen, Harvey, thank you. No, very problem. much for being here today. No, it was really, a lot of fun. It's always nice to get to know, um, a bright mind like yours and understand what motivates you. I mean, there's lots of things I wanted to get into. There's lots of really good questions here um, that ended up coming up. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just have to hope that we can convince you to come back on another day and we can uh, continue the conversation. Anytime, guys. Anytime. Awesome. This was a lot of fun. This is great. Just good. chatting with you guys about animation. Always awesome. Yeah. So feel yeah. free to hit good. me up anytime. <laughs> okay, perfect. Awesome. Well, we'll do that. So thank you, cool. David. Thank you, Harvey. See you on the, uh, Thanks, on the next one. And uh, sure. have yourselves a wonderful rest of your day. And Harvey, good evening to you, sir. Oh, yes, exactly. Time to go to bed. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> See you guys. See you. Okay, so thank you uh, very much to everyone in chat who did show up. As usual, there was lots of great questions, and we didn't get to all of them. So um, we're going to try to figure out a way of maybe trying to keep these questions somehow on record so we can always follow up on them in some way, um, in some clever way, kind of following up on these streams because we're introducing you to these really great people, this experienced, um, you know, wise minds of of the animation industry it's nice to be able to like pick their brain forever because obviously they are fountains of of good good advice and information but there's only so much time of the day and um that, that uh you know we, every, all good things come to an end for now until next time thanks uh thanks again for showing up and uh, we'll see you next week for yet another conversation with cheers thanks for listening to this episode we hope you got a lot out of it Agora Community is a free resource for artists in the animation, visual effects and gaming industries, providing daily educational material, free rigs and assets. We also have a range of experts you can purchase affordable animation reviews from to help you level up your skills. You can check it all out at agora.community. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming conversations and free animation quick tips. So. Until next time, stay tuned and stay animated.